After a windy afternoon, leaves flying. Here we are in the stillness of the Buddha Just this, just here, just now. Good evening, everyone. Uh, I've recently found a favorite thing, and I'm going to be reading it to you quite a few times during the rest of the retreat. And I think it may become your favorite thing in a certain way. It's something that Sunim wrote as part of a year-end service in 1995. And I just discovered it um, when it was put up on the website for a short time. So I'm going to read it to you. This (coughs) Got to get better allocution here. This, always available in and around you. This, always present fully in front of your eyes. This is not subject to melodrama of impermanence and cycle of samsara. This, neither born nor annihilated and neither defiled nor immaculate, is well beyond your attachments and grasp. If you understand and realize this greatly liberated one who comes and goes like wind and rain in the space, no holy teachers or books will confuse you and nothing will let you down anymore. And you will not get lost on the information superhighway. What is this? Question and keep questioning. Meditate and keep meditating until you are left with your original Buddha mind, bright (coughs) with great joy and happiness. Everyone is looking for this, actually, sometimes in completely the wrong places. But who is not looking for this kind of joy? this kind of (coughs) deep knowing our very essence. So I'm really happy that each of you have come. There aren't so many people looking in this way. There's lots of people looking all kinds of other ways. This is an important commitment of time. not easy. Never is. Just when you think it is, something happens and it isn't again. Yeah. So, 
Um, I've been learning a lot about the, no, I've been learning a little about some of the Chinese teachers. And uh, there were two that uh, worked together, Dizan and Fagan. Fagan. And Dian asked Fagan, where are you going from here? Fagan said, I'm on a pilgrimage. What sort of thing is pilgrimage? I don't know. Not knowing is the most intimate. Fayan suddenly had a great awakening. Hmm. What sort of thing is pilgrimage? Or doing laundry, or having a difficult conversation. If you don't have lots of thoughts about it. Question again. What sort of thing is pilgrimage? Remember he said, I don't know. What sort of thing is pilgrimage or doing the laundry or having a difficult conversation if you don't have lots of thoughts about it? Not knowing. I was telling Hayun that in um, uh, 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 Chinese people at one time, when they would greet each other, they would greet each other with, I'm not certain. I'm not certain. And that was so refreshing to me because a lot of times we feel like we have to be certain about something, or they seem to be certain about something. So this don't know mind, I'm not certain, is so wonderfully valuable, creating intimacy and access to our very Buddha nature. Yeah. doesn't always look like meditation, this pilgrimage. In our, um, in our Korean Zen tradition, there's some wonderful stories about uh, teachers and students and teachers and teachers and students and students. And the one I'd like to uh, share with you now is the newest one. I'm just really learning it. Over the years, I've really learned quite a few of the Korean stories because they're so body, B-O-D-Y and B-A-W-D-Y, both, yeah. And they're just um, kind of earthy. So it's in this, uh, it, this was a time, well, first of all, there was the three kingdom period in Korea. One of the kingdoms was Sheila, and Sheila took over the other two kingdoms and and um, dominated the whole Korean peninsula. And it was a time, the Sheila period, of great flourishing of Buddhism. Sheila Samadhi Panya? Sheila? This word? Yeah. Thank you. Are you saying something? I, I can't hear you. 
Uh, Mom just answered, it wasn't the morality, Sheila, Samadhi, Panya, Sheila. She was asking if it was referring to Sheila, Prajna, Samadhi. No, no, no. Sheila was just the name of one of the three kingdoms that eventually took over all the kingdoms. They didn't have like Buddhist names at that point. Yeah, so it was a very flourishing one, not only Buddhism, but art. So if you go to Korea today, you'll see so much of the art is from the Sheila period. Yeah, beautiful. And um, then there was a Koryo period after that, and then the Confucians took over. And the Buddhists were really, cinema always used to put it like this, the Buddhists were in the doghouse. They were really out of favor, whether they had been in favor. And um, uh, in fact, they wouldn't let uh, there be temples in the cities. And most of the um, Buddhists ended up that they weren't allowed to shave their heads or wear their robes. And so a lot of the Buddhists ended up in the mountains. And there was one particular... uh, uh, um, Buddhist in the mountains, whose name, let's see, is Changshim. Changshim. And he had been to China and studied with the great teachers in China. And um, when he came back to Korea, there was this Buddhism in the doghouse thing, so he went into the mountains. And there were other, um, other monks uh, uh, also in the mountains. And there were wars going on in the country. And there was one person in the war, his name was Chiyam. And he had distinguished himself for the country. And it's interesting because he was a very big kind of soldierous man. And he'd really done a lot uh, for the country. And then after the war, he'd been given honors But he said to himself, you know, I have all these honors, but they really were just because of one combat after another, and they really truly don't have much meaning, just all these combat stuff things. He said, I want to find a really good teacher and uh, start to go beyond being just a military person. So... He asked in many places, and people often told him, well, there is Chongsim, and he's living in a cave on Hang, Hanggak Mountain. And maybe he will take you as his student. And so uh, Chiyum went and uh, eventually found um, uh, Chongsim. And it turns out that Chongsim was really acting and being mostly like a layperson. Though um, living in this cave, he made his living by going on the mountains and cutting wood and taking it to the villages to sell. And a nun from a nearby temple would come and cook food for him sometimes. And he said to um, Changsheng, who came along, well, if you're going to be with me, you have to help me with the wood. And, you, you know, we, it's hand to mouth here. This is what it's about. And so um, Chiyom said, okay, I'll try this. And so he said, but you need to teach me. You know, I want to know the scriptures. 
and I really want to uh, do some meditation. Okay, okay, but not right now. We've got to go get wood, cut wood, and deliver wood. And so he would do that with him. And then he'd say, well, when are we going to get some studying in? After all, Master, you have been in China with the great masters. We still, we've got much wood to gather and to get in and to deliver. So this went on for three years. Cheon was getting really disturbed, you know. And one day, when uh, Chengsham went up into the forest on the mountain to get some wood, he, he said to the nun, this has been just so worthless. Uh, I've been working hard with this guy for all these three years, and I haven't learned one thing. I'm out of here. <laughs> and so he left. And uh, it turned out Chengsham came back fairly soon after that, and the nun explained to him just what he had said. And this is where I want to read it to you because I haven't got it memorized well enough to, um, to tell it well. She said, because you were so miserly in, your, in giving your Zen spirit to him, he left full of anger. Changsham said, it is not that I didn't tell him, but he didn't listen to me. Every day I used to see him face to face, work with him, eat with him, speak with him. Through my voice and sound and motions, I was telling him sincerely everything, every moment of the day. I don't know what else I can give him. That's interesting. Saying this, he went out immediately to overtake his errant disciple. He climbed the nearby peak and saw Chiam walking on the twisted mountain road down below. He called out, Chiam, Chiam! Do you remember when Sunim told the story and called up Chiam like that too? Chiam! Had to call a long way, Chiam! As Chiam turned and looked up, Changsham raised his fist and said, I am giving you my Zen! As soon as he saw the raised fist and heard the master's words, Chiang was enlightened. He came back and offered his gratitude to the master for his great gift. And it goes on. I feel I, I like this story especially because the times when I have felt most alive at the temple over the years is when I really throw myself in, uh, like going to the forest to get the wood every day and uh, taking the wood to sell it and all that. But the temple version of really, there's so much to throw ourselves into. And when I really do that, then I feel like I've really got a tremendous amount. And I felt like this story kind of embodied it, that the guy was looking for something else, really, and thinking it was somewhere else. But in fact, it was looking at the person's face, looking at his hands, eating with him, all of those things count. Yeah. So Youngman Junction is an is another kind of opportunity for us to be like that together with each other. 
let me get back to my notes. So, if there was a general theme for getting to really come to know this Buddha nature that's everywhere, in every person, in everything, the Buddha said, come and see. So turn up, so you're here. And then one other master, attention, attention, attention. Eh? No, not just one attention, but a lot of attention. And then you've heard often just this, just this, just here. Just now. What? It's not in some book? Isn't there supposed to be some really special guru come and give me something? Uh Uh-uh. It's with your meditation practice, both here formally and then taking it everywhere with you. And that's the thing I would like to encourage you to do tonight. And then we'll work with your meditation practice more in your interviews and in the next talk. But in the meantime, every moment that you can bring it back to you and work with it with your whole body, it's not just some repetition thing that you're doing with your mouth and your mind. It's feeling your whole body in practice. If you can please try to do that, whether sitting, standing, walking, doing some stretching, whatever you're doing. It really makes a difference if you can do that. Once um, I was in a retreat for 10 days with Venerable Samasunam. It was winter, and he took us out running around the block like 10 or 15 times in the snow, with sleet and ice. It was awful. And the only thing that kept me going was my practice, because I didn't know what else to do. I couldn't leave because I was from out of town. I would have left. And then he had us one time going in the backyard in the snow for our walking meditation. That was excruciatingly cold. We hardly had anything to eat, like for for our snack, which was quite wonderful this evening, we would have sunflower seeds and ra- with raisins in a teacup. Each of us would have a little, that's all. So, you know, you want to just run out on something like that. But what I found, and you will find it even in this situation, there's something you find very frustrating. Use your practice as your lifeline. That's what I did. That's why I survived, I think. And it made me do my practice more than I ever had done it. It was 10 days. Yeah. It was a really good 10 days. This depends on perspective a lot of times. And in perspective for, for this Jungman Junction, just realize you could be doing a lot of other things you could have chosen, but here you are.
It is not that you cannot do this, said Master Chino. It's that you don't do it. So none of that malarkey anymore 